Turn to Acts chapter 17. A little bit of background for this passage. Paul is traveling from place to place. He, he's in Thessalonica, then he's in Berea, then he's in Athens, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 16. And he is uh, he's basically running away. He's not because he's a scaredy cat, but the the persecutors of Christ's church, of which he used to be one, right, have found him in uh, the various places where he is, and so in Thessalonica. Um, the Jews formed a mob and chased him out of town. And then in Berea, uh, he was sent away uh, to Athens. And so when he gets to Athens, um, he's been he's faced many dangers. He's faced many difficulties. Uh, and he's alone. And that's unique in the story of Paul's journeys. He's not often alone. Sometimes he has Silas with him. Sometimes he has Timothy with him. Sometimes he has Barnabas with him and John Mark. Uh, There's various men who, and Luke, uh, who wrote, wrote the book of Acts. These men at different times are, are with him in different places. And verse 15 says, Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. So those who escorted him brought him to Athens, and then they went back, and the, the message that they went back with was make sure that Silas and Timothy come quickly. Because Paul doesn't like being alone. I don't blame him. Not too many of us do like being alone, right? Especially alone in a big city where you don't really know anybody, you don't have a lot of friends, you know, that kind of... But more, alone when you have work to do alone when you need help in that work. And that's really what Paul, Paul isn't so much just lonely. That's not why he wants these other men to come and join him. It's because he knows that the work that is before him is substantial. And so he sends the message back. And right at the beginning of our passage, verse 16, and I'll read the whole thing here in a minute, but it says that while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. There was a lot of idolatry in Athens. Athens was not unique in this, but maybe, uh, maybe unique in the extent of the idolatry that you, would, that you would have seen in the city of Athens. 
there were uh, statues basically on every corner. In, in some ways, Athens being a wealthy and a city, a wealthy city and a city that was full of um, successful people, successful business, and people who were wealthy enough to not really bother too much with their work and to spend a lot of time talking. And that ought to strike a kind of similar wavelength with us today here in America, right? We, we, don't, we don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time working compared to the rest of the world throughout history. We, we have a lot of free time to, to talk, to chatter, right? Well, that sort of context where there's that kind of wealth, they've devoted an awful lot of it to building idols. Raise up a fountain on the corner of the street and put a statue there to one of the gods. And that's what Paul saw as he came into Athens and it provoked him. His spirit was provoked within him. And the reason was because of the sin that such idolatry was on the part of the Athenians. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to study how exactly Paul responded when he was saddened, when he was frustrated by the sin of that idolatry that he saw in Athens. And what we're going to see is first that he did act. He didn't do nothing. He did something. He spoke up. He was reasoning. And secondly, he didn't only speak up against this wickedness to godly people. He didn't only speak up against this idolatry to people who are already in agreement with him. Right? He was addressing it with everybody. And then I want to spend some time talking about what this means for us as individuals and as a church. In particular, with regard to interacting with non-believers. So please stand for the reading of God's Word from Acts 17, verses 16 through 21. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked Within him, as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, What would this idol babbler wish to say? Others, He seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing Something new. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
the Athenians used to spend, and all of the people who visited there, why did you visit Athens? To tell or hear something new. Why do you go on Facebook? To tell or hear something new. All of the people who were on Twitter and all of the people who visited it used to spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. Am I right? Well, it's a condemnation on the city of Athens. It's a condemnation on us that we are that fickle, that we are that given over to simple entertainment. And yet, here God brings about some good through it because why do the people of Athens bring Paul into the Areopagus? Because he seems to be saying something new. Right? A proclaimer of strange deity, something they've never heard before, Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And so Paul found himself in Athens, and he began doing the work that God had laid out before him. And God opened the doors before him to continue to proclaim the good news, the message of hope, of forgiveness of sins, of salvation through Jesus Christ. And yet, as he was there in the city, his spirit was provoked within him. He became frustrated. He became upset. That's what it is to have a provoked spirit. A tormented spirit. He was tormented. He was... He was frustrated with the sin around him. Now, how many of us can have, can, can rightfully say, yes, I, I am tormented by the idolatry of the city of Cincinnati. I am, my spirit is provoked within me by the sin that I see. How many of us can even say that we hate the sin in our own lives, much less the sin of those other people out there? Paul Paul was upset. And he was not upset because of some injustice that had been done to him. He was not upset because he felt like it wasn't fair that he was alone right now in Athens. He wasn't upset because he felt like he hadn't gotten enough time with his friends in Ephesus or he hadn't gotten to do what he wanted to in Berea or in Thessalonica. He wasn't, he wasn't brooding on the fact that he'd gotten chased out, right? 
when we find ourselves upset, is it because we are tormented, provoked in spirit because of the idolatry of those around us? Or is it simply because we're selfish? What are we frustrated by? Paul was frustrated by the sin of the people in Athens, by the idols that he saw all around him. I want to take this just a little bit further. He was, he was upset, not simply because there are bad people doing bad things in the world. You understand. Why was his spirit provoked within him? Because he desired that they would worship the true God. It's not for his own comfort. Again, if you think about the things that, that come close to tormenting us in this way, generally they're things like the, the, um, the uh, apparently the news that's been circling for the last month or so, and I have, I've only heard tell of this from my wife, so I don't know the details, but you know, there's this family that's been told that they need to stop pursuing treatment, medical treatment for their son. That was there, There's some experimental treatment, right, available, and they've raised all this money, and the government in the UK said no. Okay, so, you know, that is apparently, again, I don't know the details, terribly unjust, right? And it provokes us. It provokes us to think of being told, no, you can't do what you think you need to do for your son, for your daughter, for your children. And rightfully so, right? That is something that we have been commanded by God to raise our children, and and we've been given the responsibility and the obligation to care for them. and, And so the very thought of being told no, you can't do that, is enough to, to get us up in arms. But why do we get upset? An awful lot of the reason that we get upset is because we're afraid of our own rights being impinged, right? We're afraid of somebody telling us something that we don't like We're afraid of suffering for the sake of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we become fearful and angry when we see things that are unjust. We think about them affecting us in the same way. But that's not what Paul is frustrated by looking around the city and seeing the idolatry of Athens, it wasn't provoking him because he thought, oh no, here's another city where they worship idols, and if I start preaching, then they're going to start persecuting me because there was that riot in Ephesus. The moment the, the people who made the idols heard what I was proclaiming, they started getting angry, and then there was a riot, and I got persecuted, and I'm going to have to leave Athens. You see how, there, how different that is 
from what we become provoked by. Yes, they're connected. Idolatry, right? Injustice. Persecution. They go together. But what is it that you're concerned about? Paul is not concerned about himself and his own safety in the, in the context of seeing the idolatry. That's not what has him provoked. What has him provoked is two things. One, he desires, first and foremost, that God would receive the glory due his name. That is provoking to him when he sees the worship being given to stones and metals and wood, to demons, to vain philosophies and empty chatter. And also, he is provoked because he desires to see those people who are given over to idolatry saved from their sins. He's provoked because he sees the battle, the the true spiritual battle. And he sees that his king, who deserves all honor and glory and majesty, who has been given all dominion forever and ever, that there is work to be done in the city of Athens on behalf of that king. And that nobody's doing it. That's what provokes him. And that's why when he is provoked, what does he do? He takes action. Here's a test. When you find yourself provoked because you clicked on the clickbait title in Facebook, all right? When you find yourself provoked, Ask yourself this. Is this provoking me to action, to serve the Lord? Is this provoking me to obedience? Is this provoking me to do something? Or is this simply provoking me to despair, provoking me to fear, provoking me to anger, provoking me to strife. You understand how big of a difference there is between those things, right? And it's not, it's, it's not limited to, it's helpful sometimes to ask yourself, is this something I can do anything about, Right? Is there anything that you can do about this family in England? How is this something that affects you? How is this something that you can take action, that you can do do anything about? But but that's, that's a shallow, worldly way of trying to evaluate. If you only want to see things that you can do something about, then forget reading national and international news, for starters, right? And read only 
uh, local to Cincinnati things, and probably not even that. You probably need to go a little bit smaller, maybe wherever, you know, if you're in Eastgate, read the Eastgate News or the Milford News or the Lebanon or the Loveland News, right? But even then, I mean, I saw the Loveland News this week. The Loveland News this week was there was a city council meeting where the mayor was a jerk or something, you know. Well, whoop-de-doo, and what can you do about it? And there were all kinds of people provoked, right? No, 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 no. It's not enough for us to simply say, is, is this something that I can do anything about? Because the vast majority of the time, the news is not anything that you can do about, and that's why it's not actually news, it's just entertainment. No, there may not be anything that you can do about the family in England or about the city council meeting in Loveland or about uh, the people who are uh, pushing drugs in southwest Ohio and in Kentucky, right? There may not be much that you can do about these things, and yet... When you look around, what are you seeing? What Paul saw when he looked around was the idolatry. He saw the idols that were at the heart of the city of Athens and everything that was going on there. He saw that what was driving commerce was idolatry. He saw that what was driving their conversations, what was driving their philosophies, what was driving their daily lives, all of that, what he looked around, when he saw, everywhere he looked, he saw idols. And today we think, well, we don't, we don't have idols anymore. There's not statues on every street corner. And I say, no. Open your eyes. Look. Look around you and ask yourself, why are people pushing drugs in southern Ohio? And the answer you will find is idolatry. That's what you'll see. You'll begin to have your eyes opened to seeing idols. And then you'll be able to take action on many more things. That's why I say it's a shallow way of looking at the world when you say, well, is this something that affects me or that I can take action on? It may be that you should quit worrying so much about all kinds of things all over the world that there's nothing you can do about. All right? And yet, when you're walking down the street, when you're walking into the coffee shop, or when when you walk into your place of work, people are going to talk to you about that stuff. It's on the news. Everybody knows about it. And so when you hear about it, when the conversations start, you've got to ask yourself, Am I going to have my eyes open? Are these these things that I see, are they going to provoke me the way that Paul was provoked? Or are they going to provoke me? Because, listen, you know, there's a reason that we say you can't turn on the news without seeing something miserable, right? Because every time you turn on the news, it's filled with 
so many people died over here, and X number of people died over there, and this caused all of these people to die, and also our president is going to blow up the world, and the Senate is going to make sure that X millions of people die because of the because of healthcare, and you know every time you, it's just about people dying, or it's about someone who is you know harming people not quite to death. This is what we this is what catches our attention because death is the final enemy. But it's not it's not our entertainment. It shouldn't be our entertainment. But this is what people are talking about. And so then look around, open your eyes, and do you see idols? Do you see hopelessness? Paul looked at the city of Athens and what he saw was a people that had no hope. No hope in this life and no hope in the life to come. Why? Because they served and worshipped idols. Paul took action. Inaction is pathetic. Inaction is faithless. We're so used to having our emotions manipulated into high gear and then not doing anything about it. Because that's what our entertainment is designed to do. And I'm not just talking about the news now, I'm talking about the movies you watch, the video games that you play, the things that you actually call entertainment. You give yourself to these things, and what does it do? It's meant to bring up the emotion in you, right? The TV shows. Every year, the fever pitch raises another notch. What they have to do to get you excited, to get you shocked, to get you scared, goes up another notch, right? Here's, here's a... Here's an experiment for you to to run. Pick a random TV show episode from 50 years ago and just watch it this week. I won't say watch something random from the last week, but from 50 years ago, sure, watch something random. Just you know, if you have a if you can figure out how to do that randomly, I don't know how you would, but just pick something and watch it. You know what you'll see? You'll see something that's way, way less intense. Why? Well, because we're, we're having our emotions jerked higher, higher, higher into this fever pitch, Right? And yet, after the movie ends, what do you do? After the TV show ends, what do you do? You try to get your heart rate back down and go to sleep. Because there is nothing to do. Unless you're one of those stupid people. I remember when The Matrix came out decades ago now, right? And people were so excited guys my age watching it, coming out of the theater, thinking, like, 
yeah, this is what the world is. It's a matrix. It's all just fake. I can manipulate it with my mind and breaking their wrist and hand, punching a brick wall. Because that's if, if you ever come out from a movie and actually do something, it's that dumb. This is what our entertainment leads to, right? It's not meant to produce any kind of taking action. Paul looked around him, and he saw the same things that we have today. The entertainment that they had was just meant to be exciting. Their news was just for the excitement of, oh, I heard the such and such first. Oh, I already knew about it. I knew about it before you knew about it. Oh, he told me. And what did he see? He saw idolatry, and it provoked him. And then he took action. Paul is alone in a huge metropolitan city. The, the city, in the, in, even to this day, most known for learning. Most known for the wisdom. And he looked around, and what did he see? He saw foolishness. He saw idolatry. And in a, alone, in a huge city where he's nobody... And nobody knows him and he's a nothing. He doesn't think that it's hopeless to act. He takes action. And what was the particular action that he took? Well, it's described for us as reasoning. Reasoning. So, he was provoked. So, it's like, therefore, here's what he did. So what did he do if he was provoked? He began reasoning. Paul is an evangelist. And reasoning is a big part of evangelism. That doesn't mean that that's the only action you can take. All right? If you look around and you see idolatry and you are provoked by the hopelessness of those who are on drugs, of the hopelessness of those who have grown up in the Roman Catholic Church and don't have any thought that there's any possibility of them being saved. Look around and you see the idolatry and you're provoked. Reasoning. Reasoning is going to be part of responding. Because you can't, you can't figure out what else to do without first reasoning. Reasoning in your own mind, thinking. It takes reasoning to even notice what the idols are, much less how to respond to them. Is reasoning the only thing you can do? No, of course not. Is there nothing that you can do besides reason with those who are addicted to drugs? There's lots of other things you can do. In fact, there's probably a lot better things than you can do besides reasoning with them. The world has already tried reasoning. Look, if you take drugs, you're going to end up looking like this person. You guys seen those pictures? Before and after? 
I mean, it's great reasoning, but it's not enough on its own to convince people not to do drugs, right? They've already been taught songs when they were in school. I don't smoke. No, not me. That was my song. I got taught that song. They've already been through dare, right? And even the the secular authorities look at dare, the drug abuse resistance education. They look at it and they're like, F, it's a failure. It hasn't done anything. All it does, it's, it's just a PR program for the police departments. Okay, so what can you do? Well, you can have them in your home. You can feed them. There's more to responding to idolatry than simply reasoning, right? But first, you've got to get the reasoning. Because really, Paul, beginning to reason with them, I don't want you to think that reasoning is, that that the world has done the kind of reasoning that Paul does here. The before and after pictures, that's the world's, that's the, that's, that's the best kind of reasoning that the world can accomplish. Paul's reasoning goes much farther than that. Paul's reasoning says, there is hope in Christ Jesus. Cast yourself before him. Cast your cares on him, and he will raise you up. He will lift you up. You will be saved. Paul's reasoning is about sin and righteousness and the judgment by the power of the Holy Spirit when he preaches the world is convicted of these things. And so Paul reasons. He thinks, he looks at what they do and he asks himself, why do they do that? And he doesn't come up with the answer, well, they mean well. He doesn't come up with the answer, well, they simply haven't had enough education, or they simply haven't had enough opportunities. He comes up with the answer, idolatry. They do it because they want to, because what they're worshiping is anything besides the one true living God. That's his reasoning. And then he says, how can I help them? Somebody's got to help them. He's provoked. And he reasons. And he says, the only thing that will help them is the gospel. And so he begins to argue with them, to debate them, to declare God's word. He reasons with them. And if you think reasoning with somebody doesn't include arguing and debating, you've never tried to reason with somebody who is given over to idolatry. The moment you start trying to reason with somebody, the moment you start trying to reason with yourself, when when you see idolatry in your own life, what do you have? You have a fight on your hands, don't you? 
Because your flesh, your sinful lusts of your flesh rise up to get you. And you have to put them to death, is what the Bible says. That's only within yourself. And so you begin reasoning with those who are given to the idolatries of our nation, the worship of money. Oh, how we love it. It will be our salvation. Right? Isn't that what we think? We're so convinced that if we just get enough money, or if we just do a good enough job protecting the money that we already have, then everything will be all right. If you can just get a good enough education, then you'll have the opportunity to get the kind of job that you need to get the kind of money so that you can have a nice, comfortable existence. And then everything gets filtered. All of your actions, all of the actions of the people around you, everything gets filtered through that idolatry. Does it help or hurt my financial position? Well, children are pretty harmful to your financial position. And yet God says that they're a blessing, doesn't he? Try reasoning that out with the world. I just saw this last week that this 2016 data is finally out, and unsurprisingly, the United States fertility is at record lows, never been this low before. Is that surprising? The attitude of... Cincinnati's actually really friendly to children compared to most places we've lived. But even in Cincinnati, Heidi took one of our kids to, the, to prompt care, and the guy was like, I'm never going to have any kids polluting the world, and this, that, and the other. Okay, check, please. We're never coming back here. You see the idolatry? Are you provoked by that? Provoked enough to say, well, we're never coming back. Right? Provoked in yourself. But are you, do, you, do you ever take a step of reasoning to see the idolatry that's behind it and then take action like Paul does? And Paul took action with three different groups of people. It, it describes there. It says, first, he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews, and then in the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. The normal group of people in the synagogue was made up of two kinds, right? Those who were Jews and those who were God-fearing Gentiles. And he took action. 
and he began reasoning with them. Why would you begin reasoning with them about the idols of Athens and how and, and the it, that why would that be the action that you would take and it provokes you? Is that going to have any impact on the idolatry of Athens? Yes. Yes, it will. Why am I preaching here to this group? People who are already in agreement, agreement enough to come to church, right? Because God's word goes out with power and it never returns empty. That's God's promise. And because it is God's people who do the work. It is his church that proclaims the gospel to the watching world. You guys go out into the world. You're not only Christians. Sunday morning. He reasons with them. And the other reason that he reasons with the people who are Jews and God-fearing Gentiles is because you've got to remember this is him bringing the gospel to those people for the first time. These are people who have not heard yet whether there is a Christ as it's put elsewhere in the Acts, right? We do not even know. So, so he knows that they fear God, and he also knows that they need to hear the gospel. So he begins reasoning with them. But why do I reason with you? After all, you've already heard the gospel. Well, because I don't want you to fall prey to the same lies that the culture is shoving down your throat every time you walk out, well, every time you turn on your smartphone. I was going to say walk out your door, but you don't have to walk out your door anymore, right? The billboards, the TV, your computer screen, your smartphone, the world is sending you a message. It is teaching you. It's teaching you to worship. And it's not teaching you to worship God. It's teaching you what matters And so women are taught that beauty of form is what matters. What matters. And, and men are taught that what matters is them having fun. That's what the advertisements know you want. And so then they give you the option of Getting it if you just pay your little sacrificial tidbit. Then you can have the makeup that'll do it. Or you can have the game that'll accomplish it for you. They're teaching you to worship. Do you see it? They're asking for your donation at the door. Will you give it? What do you worship? We need to have our eyes open to see through that if we are going to not worship the idols 
on every street corner. Athens, the text mentions these schools of thought. Verse 18, some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Well, these are the these are the philosophers, the educated people, the, like I said, the schools of thought for why the world is the way it is. And the Epicureans said that there are gods, but they don't pay any attention to us. And we don't have eternal souls. And so don't fear God and don't worry about death. What is good in this life is easy to get, get it. And what is terrible is easy to endure, endure it. That's the gist of the Epicurean philosophy. Have you seen that today? Oh yeah, you've seen it. Oh yeah, I know there's a God, but I'm not really concerned about it, right? People who believe in God but it doesn't really have any impact on their daily life. The Stoics were a little bit different. They didn't agree with the Epicureans at all. They said there is a God who rules and governs. But also, fate does stuff while God is busy somewhere else. If you guys, if you guys open your eyes and pay attention, you'll see this from Christians. having this stoic attitude that uh, you know well God God wills these good things to happen in the world but then when Hurricane Katrina comes where is God? Well you know fate came in and did something God must have been busy somewhere else And so the Stoics say, get yourself in line with nature. Follow reason and not your emotions. Make sure you just have yourself a peaceful mind. This goes great with marijuana. Get in tune with nature and just go with the flow. And don't be driven by your don't get, it's nothing, nothing's worth getting real upset about, dude. Just take it easy, go with the flow. Again, the Epicurean and, and the Stoic philosophies of, are, are ancient, and they've got, their, they've got their adherence today, even if you've never heard of the terms, even if their adherents have never heard of the terms, Right? But both the Epicureans and the Stoics, in spite of the fact that they didn't agree with, it, with each other at all, both were in opposition to Paul and the God that he proclaimed. Both were in opposition to Christianity. And the gospel of Jesus Christ shuts both of these philosophies down. And so very clearly, we have four or five different kinds of people that Paul is dealing with. 
You've got the God-fearing Gentiles. You've got the Jews. You've got those who happen to be present, whether they were Stoics or Epicureans or didn't know what they were. And all of Paul's actions are tied to him being provoked in spirit over the idolatry in the city. If we don't confront the sin of our culture, we cannot expect salvation to result from our interactions with culture. Do you understand that? If our interactions with those around us do not confront the idolatry, confront the sins that people are given over to, on what basis would we ever expect them to repent to the salvation of their souls? And you say, but that sounds scary. Confront is a word that I don't really like the sound of. Yeah, nobody does. But what are we provoked by? Are we provoked by the thought that we might not live in comfort to the rest of our dying days? Or are we provoked by the thought that these are eternal souls and they need salvation? If we're provoked by the latter, then we will confront sin, in our, starting in our own lives. We will confront the idols that we are tempted by, but also we will confront them in our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. We'll point out how hopeless it is. The idols that they're worshiping. And you, if, if you just open your eyes a little bit, you'll be able to see the idols. You see that some of the people are living for the next vacation they can go on. And you think, what about the last vacation? Was that all it was cracked up to be? And you, if you say that to them, what, what are you doing? Well, you're confronting an idol, aren't you? And you don't have to be rude, Right? But if you don't, if it doesn't come clear at some point that what you're doing is pointing out they have no hope in what they've put their hope in, then you have not called them to repentance. If they don't see a difference between worshiping Jesus and worshiping an idol and see that they can't worship both, They can't repent. So what does this mean for us as a church? Well, just what I've been saying. You have to be provoked. If you're not first provoked, you won't do anything besides live comfortably numb. 
But then you have to take action. And yes, many will not be interested in hearing at all what you have to say. What would this idle babbler wish to say to us? Blah, 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 blah. All you ever talk about is God. Blah, 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 Jesus. Yeah, I know. I've heard it all. These are things that people will say to you. Sure. And others will be very confused about what we're saying because they've, they've heard and been taught so many different things about so many different gods and so many different things that they think that they have to pursue. If I pursue this and I pursue this and I pursue this and I pursue this, then surely everything will be good for me if I can get it all. Right? And then there's this strange, strange God that you're proclaiming that says, forsake the world and come follow me. And you will find rest for your souls. That's a strange message today, isn't it? And the whole world is saying, run after the world. But we must deal with the sins that our culture is bathed in. And yes, you must go in prepared, knowing that it's going to mean people debating you. It's going to mean people arguing with you. And that's okay. That's what reasoning looks like. And we have an advantage. We have an advantage that Paul didn't have. We have each other. We are not individuals all alone in a big city with nobody else having heard the gospel, nobody else having repented, living by faith. We have a whole church. And so we can pray for one another. And we can love one another and we can strengthen one another. And we have different gifts that we've been given. Those who've been given the gift of hospitality have many, many opportunities to use it in the proclamation of the gospel that this church does. Hospitality is not only for my wife and I, right? We have a baby. Oh, yay, hospitality. Yes, praise God for that gift, and I'm very thankful, but it goes far beyond that, right? Say, well, yeah, I want some too. Well, yeah, you want some too. We'll give you hospitality too, but it goes farther than that too, right? My parents had a man who was an alcoholic detoxing in their basement. That was hospitality. And it was the gospel being proclaimed to the watching world. You see how that's, you see how beautiful that is? You see how powerful that is? We have different giftings. Some of us 
fantastic by the grace of God at service, others at inviting, others at welcoming, others at teaching. And so we use as a community, Paul's work was to establish a church. And here we are, a whole group of us. Let's see what God does as we use our gifts for his kingdom. Let's pray.